0: A very good morning to you. It's lovely to see you all here this morning. As Kate said, if you're new or visiting, maybe you used to be part of this church 100 years ago and you're, you're back visiting. You're very, very welcome. Maybe you're here for the first time. Uh, either way, maybe you're here every single week. Uh, all of you are very welcome. It's lovely uh, to see you. My name's Neil. I'm married to uh, Kate. Together we attempt to lead this amazing community of believers here at the Southwest London Vineyard. Um, And again, if you're new or visiting, please do join us for pizza. After the service, we'll be out um, in the foyer. We're going to carry on our series looking at the one another phrases from the New Testament. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. We started this uh, series three weeks ago with a bit of an overview um, of the one another statements. And then we looked at loving one another. And then last week, we looked at being devoted to one another or belonging to one another. And this week, I want us to look at how the Bible calls us as followers of Jesus to serve one another humbly in love, to serve one another in love. So let us we're just going to take a look at just a couple of verses from Galatians chapter 5. They should miraculously come up on the screen behind me. This is starting in verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. And what Paul's getting at here, and we'll dig into it in a a minute, you can be sure of that, is, is now that, cast your mind back to our Romans 12 passage and looking at, reflecting on Romans 1 to 11. Now that we are recipients of God's mercy and grace in and through the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, the good news, the good news of the gospel that has set us free, now that we are free, how should that freedom in Christ that we now have be enjoyed? Now that we are no longer slaves, we are no longer enslaved, we're no longer in bondage to sin and to fear and to the law, we're no longer even to fear or ensnared by death itself, But we've been brought into this freedom of the abundant life that was promised and is ours through Christ Jesus. What are we to do with it all? All of this new found freedom. And that's essentially the question that Paul is addressing here in these verses uh, and indeed in the whole letter to the Galatian church. Are we to take that freedom and just carry on as if nothing's happened? Uh, paul 's verses in Romans six, what shall we do then? Shall we say that shall we, shall we carry on sinning that grace may about he says heaven forbid no 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 of course we wouldn't do that no Are we going to carry on living with you know as, just as we always have, or are we going to again back to Romans twelve no longer be conformed to the pattern of this world and instead amongst many other things, are we going to be changed? Are we going to be different? And are we going to serve one another humbly in love? So what we're gonna try and do this morning is first we'll try and take a look at the context of these verses so that we can try and get our heads around what Paul is trying to say to the people that he was writing to. And then we'll think about what it actually means to serve one another humbly in love. And then lastly, we'll consider what serving one another in love looks like here at Southwest London Vineyard and how we can all roll up our sleeves and work out this aspect of this bit of one another in practice. Does that make sense? So uh, first of all, let's try and get our heads around what's going on here in Galatians. Uh, what's been happening basically t- at the church there that has caused and prompted Paul to write this letter to them in the first place? And this letter to the Galatians, it was written to a number of churches in the region of Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey. Paul had been on, he'd been there on one of his uh, missionary journeys. And he writes them this letter. And, I mean, it's Paul. Okay, so that's kind of a given. Um, But you get this very, very clear sense that Paul's um, deeply passionate, a little bit frustrated, possibly a bit knocked. It probably feels a little bit angry. Some of the tone in like, the first chapter feels a little... But that, I say, is poor. Um, And the reason for that is because, as you all probably know, Christianity began as a Jewish messianic movement in Jerusalem. But its message was supposed to be for all of humanity. It was supposed to be for everybody, and so of course, what happens in the first century is we see that this message and this movement of Christianity begins to spread beyond Israel, and so by Paul's time there are a number of non-Jews. There were there were as many non-Jews as there were um, Jewish people in this rapidly growing Jesus movement, and the fact that there were. Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians. That caused controversy. That that sparked a big debate. And the issue was essentially um, that historically the covenant of people of God was focused around one ethnic group. It was focused around Israel. And they were set apart. by They were distinguished. They were recognized and made known by the sort of um, practices that they followed. Commanded in the law of the Torah. Things like all the males being circumcised and eating kosher food, and observing Sabbath, and those sorts of things. They were the things that distinguished them as God's people. And then you fast forward a few hundred years, and as I say, there are many Jewish Christians who believe that if these non-Jews really want to become part of God's family, as followers of Jesus, they too needed to obey the law of the Torah, And so some of these Jewish Christians ended up in Galatian churches and they're sort of undermining Paul because they think he's talking nonsense and they're complaining about him in secret corners. And essentially what they're doing, they're trying to demand that all the non-Jewish men be circumcised and do everything else in observance of the old laws. Anyway, when Paul finds this out, uh, of course he's brokenhearted, but he's also pretty angry. Um, and this letter to the Galatian church is the result and and first of all what he does is he challenges the Galatians in chapter 1 and so on with a a summary of the actual message of the gospel about the crucified Christ and he says it's not that um, people are justified people aren't made right before God by the works of the Torah By following and observing the law, people are made right. People are justified, put right in a right relationship with God because of having faith in Jesus. We talked about this uh, last week or the week before. It's by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. And Paul is saying that any suggestion that we can be justified, that we can be made right, our relationship with God can be put right in any other way circumcision, kosher, Sabbath, whatever it is that you might want to come up with, good works, he says that is a betrayal of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is why he's pretty hacked off. He's not happy about that. And he's saying, you know, when you put your trust in Jesus, what is true of Jesus becomes true of you. His life and his death and his resurrection uh, become yours when we begin to follow Jesus, or as Paul says in Galatians 2 verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And then back to our Galatians overview, Paul goes on to remind them that this um, good news, this gospel, Jesus, is not just for the Jews, but for everyone. Jesus died to create this new multi-ethnic family, the church. And, and so the, reason that, the only reason that anyone can say that they're in right standing or that they belong to God's covenant family isn't because they've obeyed the Torah or the law. It's only because, it can only ever be because of what Jesus has done for us. And it's something that we can not do for ourselves, none of us. Now... This profound understanding of what Jesus accomplished at the cross, this has huge implications for those who can now be included in God's covenant family and for what it means to live as a member of that family. See, God had always intended the law to be a temporary measure. The law was only ever supposed to be a temporary measure. Once Jesus came, Jesus fulfilled the promise of the law on Israel's behalf. Jesus was the faithful servant of God. He loved God. He loved his neighbor alike. And as Israel's king, he died to take humanity's sin into himself and bring redemption. And so now through Jesus, the offspring of Abraham, God's blessing that was promised back in Genesis has come to all people, regardless of our ethnicity, our social status, or our gender. And that's why Paul, for Paul requiring Torah observance, from uh, non-Jewish Christians makes absolutely no sense. He's like, what, he, what are you talking about? It's like acting if Jesus didn't fulfill God's promises. Jesus didn't deal with it sin. It. it neglects the newfound freedom that is granted and gained for us through Jesus and the gift of the Holy Spirit. What it does is it limits the promises and the blessing of being part of this multi-ethnic um, family. And then Paul goes on in Galatians, and uh, this is what's most relevant to us this morning, um, actually, in terms of unpacking. And it's like, how is it that this gospel of Jesus, you know, and and the gospel of Jesus alone, how is it that this truly transforms us? And what Paul says is it transforms us by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And in chapters 5 and 6 of Galatians, Paul describes how Jesus' transforming presence in and through the power of the Holy Spirit is what's key. And what he does is he contrasts our old humanity, you know, how we lived before we came to faith in Jesus with our new humanity now with Christ at the center of all that we do and think and believe. And the habits of the old humanity are obvious. He talks about them in chapter six. You know, they're the kind of things, the kind of behaviors that dehumanize people, destroy relationships, destroy whole communities. And the Torah, of course, absolutely prohibited those behaviors but Jesus actually puts those behaviors to death at the cross he deals with them once and for all and so when we put our trust in Jesus and start living instead in dependence on the Holy Spirit as I said before Jesus life becomes our life and produces in us what Paul goes on to call the fruit of the Spirit and this is Jesus way of life that he wants to reproduce right across his family in the church so that we become a people of love and joy, of peace and patience, of kindness and goodness, of faithfulness, of gentleness, and of self-control. But you know, like all fruits, the the fruit of the spirit, this fruit of spirit is not automatic. Paul says that it needs cultivation. In other way, Paul puts it as he says, you know, if we live by the spirit, we have to keep in step with the spirit, and this requires intentionality, and we have to learn how to prune off our old habits and cultivate new ones. And as we do so, slowly but surely, we find ourselves being carried along by the Holy Spirit or led by the Holy Spirit or transformed with ever increasing glory into the image of Jesus by the Holy Spirit as Jesus reshapes our minds and hearts and makes us into a people who love and serve God, who love and serve one another in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's kind of the context for what we're looking at today. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So what might it mean to serve one another humbly in love? Have a look. Tell me to John chapter 13. We'll just pull out some verses from here. See if this can help us. This is John chapter 13, verse 17, I think. It was just before the Passover Uh, festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world, this is just before his crucifixion, and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. Uh, This is verse 2, sorry. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he'd come from God, and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And here we've got this picture of Jesus rendering this incredibly humble act of service to his disciples. Disciples by washing their feet. And obviously, washing one another's feet has slightly fallen out of practice, but you know, walking the dusty roads of the first century meant that your feet needed washing, like regularly, Uh, especially before you would think of reclining at a low table to have a meal with others where your feet would literally be in other people's faces. And Normally, the task would fall to the very lowliest of servants for all the obvious reasons. And yet, here is Jesus, the Son of Man, shortly before his crucifixion, serving his disciples in this most lowly way, living out what he goes on to say in Mark chapter 10, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This humility, this service, this love expressed by this act with this water and towel foreshadows definitely Jesus' ultimate act of service, humility, and love by his death on the cross. And the way of Jesus... The life modeled by Jesus, it gives us all we need. It gives us the profound insight that we need into what serving one another in love might look like. And the first thing is that serving one another is always going to require sacrifice. And the second thing is serving one another is always going to require humility. Serving in love will always cost us if it doesn't cost us, it's not really serving. It's supposed to. Um, it costs Jesus his life. And so how should we expect that it will cost us anything less? Serving in love will always require humility. You know, it's back to our verses from Romans chapter 12. Not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought, but rather thinking of ourselves with sober judgment. Serving one another in love, humbly, will always require a humble heart, a willingness to put others above ourselves, to prefer one another, to serve one another, to love one another. So sacrifice and humility run all the way through this stuff. And so with that in mind, um, let's take a look at what serving one another in love might look like here in this church family. How might we serve? one another. And again, you know, the idea of church as family, we've we've seen over the past few weeks, is one of those metaphors from the scriptures to illustrate what this thing, the church, is and how we are to be with one another. And it's a really helpful way uh, to look at it. Uh, Just like any in any family, everyone has a part to play. It's back to Uh, Talk from last week uh, verses Romans uh, 12 chapter 5 so in Christ we though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others just as in a family you know there may be many people many parts in your family but each one belongs to the others so too it is with the church so back to our um, text from Galatians in light of the new found freedom we have in Christ through his life and death and resurrection, how are we to demonstrate the life of Christ to one another? And one of the keys way we would do that is through serving one another humbly in love. Just like in any healthy family where we all get to play our part, You know, whether it's the, the washing up or loading the dishwasher or cooking supper or laying the table or clearing up, whatever it may be, these pretty ordinary um, and mundane things, they're, they're very much part of the, the warp and woof of family life. You know, In fact, it could be argued that it's actually around the kitchen sink or it's around the dining table or co-laboring with one another that it's where real family is formed. And it's no different here in the church. You may have heard me talk about um, hotels and homes. Does that ring any bells? Where... Hotels are really great places to visit. I mean, who doesn't want to spend a few nights in the Four Seasons? Um, I certainly do. Yeah, it's nice. It's it's nice from time to time to be waited on hand and foot and have someone turn down your bed and put chocolates on your pillows. And it doesn't happen in our house, right? Seriously, I just can't get the staff. Um, But hotels are not homes. You, You really don't want to live in a hotel. Maybe Claridges. But, I mean, you don't, you don't want to live in a hotel. Home, home is where the heart is, you know, with all of its challenges and tensions and joys and highs and lows. Home is where we belong. Home is where family's made. And, and the church is supposed to be like a home, somewhere we all get to muck in together to make things work. Church isn't supposed to be a hotel where we pitch up as guests waiting for somebody to carry our bags to our room. That's fine for a very short while, but hotels are actually pretty lonely places. Home is where we all long to be. So what does that look like here? Well, this may come as a great surprise to you, but none of the very many things that we all, as a church, are involved in happen without people. Uh, And on that front, just let me say our heart is, and our hope is, and our prayer, is that here, every single one of us, in whatever ways we can, our heart and our hope and our prayer is that every single one of us would be involved in serving one another humbly in love in some way or another. But just to give you a bit of a snapshot and an idea of what it takes to be the church here, all of which we need your help to make happen. Every Sunday, week in, week out, just for this to happen, uh, people serve one another they serve you humbly in love uh, they arrive there are people here arrive at eight o'clock on a sunday morning some have been out partying the night before some have been at weddings some have been at all kinds of things and at eight o'clock they arrive they set up the stage this isn't all done they set up the stage for the worship team so um the, the, this is here uh, they set up the PA, and that involves a fair amount of lugging and lifting so that we all get to hear what's going on. Someone sets up the projector and the laptop so that everyone gets to see what's going on. You can read the words. Uh, somebody clears this hall. This hall isn't this immaculate, beautiful, beautifully laid out vision of excellence that you see before you. Uh, It's interesting at 8 o'clock in the morning and someone's moving chairs and tables and clearing debris from um, the children in the school. Uh, Somebody else is here at 8 o'clock to fill up the urns so that the hot water is ready, so that you all, we all can get our caffeine fix when we arrive. We wouldn't want there to be cold water. And and that's just happening here. And then over in the gym, other people have arrived at eight o'clock, half past eight, they're clearing up the gym so they can set it up for Vineyard Kids so that everything's ready for when the children arrive. And then teams arrive and put out signs and banners. Those banners that you see out on the street. Somebody lugs those up and down and ties them. Make sure all of the equipment's in the right place. And then teams arrive to run Vineyard Kids and the baby room and youth so that kids can grow in their faith and their knowledge of Jesus. And then teams arrive to welcome people. And still other teams arrive to serve you tea and coffee. And then uh, by the end of the service, wash up all of your dirty mugs those of you who don't bring your keep cups. Not saying anything. Um, our worship teams, these guys, you know, they lead us in worship and they will have spent, not the whole week, but a chunk of the week, preparing, practicing, lead, you know, readying themselves to lead God, God's people into his presence. Uh, during the week, uh, someone has ready to talk and uh, most of the time, I'm sorry, you get me, Uh, It's a short straw. But sometimes it's not me, right? Uh, And it's not me. Uh, It's somebody who doesn't do this all the time. And that could be someone who, as John Mumford always said, has taken an hour of prep for every minute that they speak. So if they talk for like 30 minutes, the person who gets up to speak could have easily spent 30 hours preparing this talk. 30 hours of prayer and of study and drafting and redrafting just to attempt to encourage God's people from the Scriptures. That's just Sundays. And then during the week, uh, teams of people serve one another in love at Grow Baby on Thursday, a food bank on Wednesday, or tea and toast on Tuesdays. On Tuesdays, uh, other teams serve on Alpha. Teams come together to pray and to lead small groups. Someone will have spent the whole day on Tuesday at least cooking so that the people who are arriving at Alpha have got something half-decent, hopefully, to eat. During the week, our small group leaders uh, will have spent time preparing something to share with us all. And some of our small group leaders have been leading small groups for years, week in, week out for years, serving one another humbly in love. Uh, they or hosts will tidy the house and get the house ready to welcome people. Maybe somebody's cooked a meal for everybody to share. And there's so much more. You know, all the pastoral care that goes on day in and day out outside of our small groups. Uh, we heard about the trustees. Trustees meet, you have no idea how regularly. They meet regularly, and even more regularly, they have to read endless emails from me with attachments of policies and procedures and documents which are just joyful. Uh, These are just some of the things that make this place a home and not a hotel. And we all get to play our part. Everybody gets to play. And I get, you know, none of this is very sexy. It's all a bit ordinary. But, you know, the stuff of family life is actually pretty ordinary. Much of family life is cooking, and cleaning, and washing, and tidying, and then doing it all again the very next day. But it's in the midst of the ordinary that the extraordinary happens. It's sitting around the the dining table, sitting around having supper together. Just that one time, or maybe it's while you're washing up, or you're clearing the decks after supper, that that conversation, the conversation happens. And a moment comes, and it's totally out of the blue, that suddenly reminds you that this is family. This is home. And what's true in your homes and your families is true here in the church. It's in these moments, you know, lugging banners down the street in the rain so that maybe one person can spot that there's a church here and come to find Jesus. It's when you're setting up the PA or you're doing Vineyard Kids and you've got paint all over your hands and face or you're in youth or you're in your small group where you're just doing the very ordinary stuff that something extraordinary happens. So very unapologetically, if you're here and you are part of this church and you are not serving, just like you need to be here on a Sunday, just like you need to be connected to a small group, just like you need to be giving generously of your money and your resources, can I encourage you, most emphatically, you need to find somewhere to serve, somewhere to serve others In love, and just to give you an idea of where we could do with people, so that not all the same people are doing all of the jobs, and they're all serving in too many places at once, and therefore getting burned out, so that we can share the load between us. Here's here's what we need um, right now. Does that make sense? So this is what Sundays look like. So these are some of the Sunday ministries. This is the sort of levels of teams that we've got, and these are some of the gaps that we need. And then the next slide is some of the midweek spaces that we have. So as you're sitting here, you're like, oh my gosh, it's like I had no idea they needed help on the PA. I love PA. I am like a sound engineer. I'd love to serve. Or I'd like to find out about that. You might be there, and you're thinking, fantastic. You know, tea and coffee, they don't look like they need any help. That's all right. I won't do that then. Where else do they need help? Vineyard Kids. I had no idea they needed help. Yeah, they do. Youth, worship. I mean, there are so many things to get involved in. And, you know, we're not asking you to serve, like, every minute of every day for every part of your life. You just have to do it, like, once a month, 12 times a year. It's not huge. And if you're interested in finding out more, uh, come and speak to us or check out the website under how to get involved, helping out, um, and get in touch. You can fill out a form, and someone will get in touch with you. You're not signing your life away. But we will want to see every single one of us involved in serving somewhere. And basically, let's ensure, you know, everyone in this church, whether you've been here five years or five minutes, I don't, is serving on a team somewhere. Uh, if we all roll up our sleeves, get stuck in, the things that need to be done will take no time at all. And honestly, it's much more fun. It's much more fun. There's two of you lugging the banners out on the streets in the rain. You can enjoy it together. It's a great way to get to know your family. It's a great way to get to know your brothers and sisters, co-laboring with Christ. It's a great way to be family alongside one another, serving one another in love.